Hey everybody, this is Pastor Wilson again. I'm so excited about what we're doing and I'm so glad that it is a blessing to a lot of you. So today we're going to be continuing on the study of Galatians. We're going to go into chapter 3 and we're going to go through it step by step as well because this is where Paul now kind of lays out his argument. He's been laying out his argument from the very beginning. But the thing that he was focusing on was uh, by which medium he got the revelation that he was about to tell these people. And not just that, but he was also talking about um, why he defends the gospel the way he does and defending it even by opposing Peter, if you remember that. And I'm sure that now you have a better understanding um, of really what Paul is trying to say. And... Chapter 3, he's going to lay down his case and, and, and just give us uh, the idea from whence <laughs> he comes so that we have an idea of, um, of what Paul really is thinking. So uh, we're going to dive straight into it. And if you don't mind, I, I, I'll, I'll be going in and in it. Just this is a conversation. Take it as a conversation. It is not really a sermon. As you can tell, all these things are really laid back uh, because I'm, I'm really not interested in making more sermons. I am just interested in having a real good conversation, heart to heart, with you. And if you would just take it from that uh, stance or from that uh, point, viewpoint, uh, instead of it being extremely formal, take it as extremely um, conversational something that allows for a conversation between you and me. And of course, you can always get in touch with me on social media. If you have any questions, try to get me on Facebook. Um, I know I'm on Twitter, but I think my last tweet was years ago. Um, <laughs> and uh, also on Instagram, I'm, 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 I'm there-ish on Instagram. You can search for me there as well. But really, uh, the main place you can get me is Facebook, Facebook, and then Instagram. Um, and if you could just do that, my name again, Wilson Mohanyan. If you just search for that, you will get it. But nonetheless, let's go. So he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I, I mean, that's kind of hard. Uh, but he comes to them, and remember the whole message in the book of Galatians is just, it, 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 is, not, it is not very uh, easy. Of course, Paul here is very hard because he is defending something that he believes is quite important. And for me, that's what, that's what shows me what really was of most importance to Paul uh, and most importance to the apostles is that uh, you will know what a person actually cares about if when you touch that thing, you can gauge their response. So if their response, really, if you think about it, if Paul's response to this was just, ah, okay, guys, you, you can take it however you want to take it. Let's not make it a big deal. And he just talks lightly to the Galatians. Then you would know that, okay, that, that probably isn't a major deal. But he writes an entire letter to the Galatians, and he does so speaking quite, quite, quite strongly to them. And the reason that he's doing this quite strongly, if you think about it, is because it matters to him. It's because to him, this is what the faith is about. And I think the reason that sometimes we need to pay closest attention to 
Galatians, not saying that it's more important than the other scriptures. No, that's not what I'm saying. But then it's highlighting some very important things. So there's a lot of things that the scripture addresses, but not all things are of equal importance. So Galatians is highlighting the ones that are of higher importance. And, it, and Paul is doing so very strongly because he knows that this is important. You guys, you can get a lot of things wrong, but please don't get this one wrong. So, of course, he says this. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched, who has bewitched you? Mwah. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? <laughs> it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So, the thing that Paul is asking, when he says, did you receive the Spirit? That is not just baptism in the Holy Spirit. What he's talking about there is actually truly salvation. And what he is saying is that, were you guys saved by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And of course, he's, he's assuming that their clearest answer will be, uh, by hearing with faith, Paul, of course. And then he says, are you so foolish? Having begun with or by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Or are you now ending with the flesh? In other words, he is saying this. If therefore you were saved truly by faith and faith alone, without the law, without works, okay? Then how is it that you start with faith alone and then you feel like you will be perfected or you need to end this with works. Why do you think this? And by the way, like I, I put a disclaimer, Paul is not for terrible works. Just read the fifth chapter of the book. We're coming there. Paul is not saying that works are of no importance. That's not. That would be misinterpreting him. He's still coming to that in chapter 5. But he makes a very good link of what works and faith and how they link together. So Paul is not just coming out and saying, look, works are not important. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's actually saying is that works are important. And he will talk about it in chapter five. But let me not jump there, right? Let's stick to three. Let's make the point that Paul is making with the same stress that Paul has on it. And what he says there is that, are you now being perfected or are you being completed or are you ending with the flesh? How can your salvation begin by faith, says Paul? And then at the end of it, uh, end with works. He says, these two things just don't work. You can't start in the spirit and then end in the flesh. He says, wait, this, is, this doesn't make sense, guys. This does not. Makes sense. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain, because they also suffered for their faith? And he says, why would you have suffered all these things and then want to go back to the understanding that you had at first? Does he who supplies the spirit to you? This is another question. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. And Paul does this so clearly, because does God work among us because we do good works? Or does God work among us 
because we hear his word with faith. And that's exactly what, what Paul is doing here. He's like, guys, there's a disconnect here. There's a disconnect. The works of the law, which is good works, those things, however, have not gotten you saved. Your good works have not gotten you saved. And God doesn't work among you because of your good works. Come on, we've heard of so many people that were used by God and they had imperfect character. Imperfect character. And God uses imperfect character all the time. And does that mean that it is the perfection of character that makes uh, God work among you? Definitely not. And thank God not, right? Definitely not. Because all of us falter in many ways. This is what James says. I, I love James. A and he says, all of us falter in many ways. <laughs> and we all do. But you know what? What Paul is saying here is that, but our justification is simply based off of faith, not the doing of good works. Ch verse 6, it says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. That's what other translation says. Uh, just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So is the same with us. If we believe God, God credits righteousness to our account. Now, all of you that have done any form of, any form of accounting, uh, you would know this, that um, if something is credited to your account, if something is added to your account, uh, credited means added and debited means removed. And so what he is saying here is that if you come and believe and come to God in faith, you believe God, just like Abraham, then righteousness is added or credited to your account for free. For free. That means you don't have to work for it. That, that's, what, that's what this means. You don't have to work for it. You are not righteous because you do righteous works. Actually, according to Paul, you are righteous because you believe. And not just according to Paul, but the gospel, is that you are righteous according to the fact that you have believed. That's it. Know then that this, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And that's what he means. He says that, well, you know what? The guys that receive the gift or the promise of Abraham, which is uh, righteousness credited uh, credited to, to, to Abraham as righteousness. Therefore, the sons of Abraham are those who believe, not those who do the works of the law, and not those who have uh, circumcised and become part of Israel. No, he says, but those who are sons of Abraham, these ones are those who have believed. And the scripture foreseeing that God, listen to this, and the scripture foreseeing, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. You see that? By faith, not by works. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So what happened while Abraham was being made right before God by faith was that scripture, if you would, or if we would put a living face to it and say scripture, but of course it's God, but scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that he would make the, rent, the Gentiles 
um, or count righteous the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So in other words, for us to receive the same justification that Abraham received, it simply means that we receive that justification by faith, the same as how Abraham received it. He received justification clearly and simply by faith. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This, of course, makes sense. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now, he explains what he means by this. And he means those who basically rely on good works for their justification are under a curse. What do you mean, Paul? Why would you say that? For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Let, 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 let me just jump back to that verse 10. So he says, uh, where am I? Where am I? He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. So what does that mean? It means that if you are guilty even in one aspect of the law, you are guilty of the whole law. This is what James says, of course. He says, uh, the same law that says do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. So he who commits murder and still does not commit adultery is, has carries the same guilt before the law. In other words, this person before the law is guilty and remains under the curse of the guilty in the law. So in other words, it doesn't matter which part of the law you break. This is what Paul is saying, that if you are relying on the works of the law for your justification, it doesn't matter which part of the law you actually break. You are a transgressor, you are a sinner, and you fall under the punishment reserved for those that transgress the law. There is no, there is no, no, no weight to it. Not, not to say, well, you know what, I, 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 am, I am faithful in most parts of the law. It's just this area in my life, just this and that, and, and these are the things that I struggle with. And Paul is saying, wait, 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 there is no difference. There is no difference. You are guilty and are under a curse of the law. So I think you get it. But then he says this. He, he continues with this and says, now it is evident, verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. It is evident. It is clear. It is, it is quite straightforward. No one is justified before God by the works of the law. In other words, no one is justified before God by doing good deeds. Um, and and that, that is so incredible. I, I want to just read a little bit from Titus because Paul makes the same thing to Titus or the same point to Titus. And he says this. Uh, he says in chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Man, not by works 
of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So he says that we were saved. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done. So it's the same thing. Here he says works of righteousness. Here he says works of the law. It's repeating the same things. It's good works. We've spoken about this uh, initially, I I think, in the first episode, I think, of Galatians. Galatians 1, part 1. I think this is where we actually spoke about this and said when Paul is talking about the works of the law, he's talking about good works. That means he's talking about doing good things, not doing bad things. Not, not, he's not saying that some of you, you are doing bad things. No, he's not talking about bad behavior. He'll talk about bad behavior in chapter 5. Now he's talking about good behavior. But he is saying that this good behavior, these good works, do not justify us before God. In other words, they don't make us right before God. For the righteous shall live by faith, he continues. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. In other words, the law is not, it has nothing to do with faith. If you do right, you get right. If you do wrong, you get wrong. It is straightforward. The one who does them shall live by them. Then he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith, or that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. And what does this mean? Of course, he says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, and how did he do that? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that is hanged on a tree. So what he is saying is that while Jesus was hung on a tree, while Jesus was hung on a cross, he became a curse for us. So every single curse that should have come upon us because what we did was wrong before God went on who? Christ Jesus. So that's what he means. He became a curse for us. He became, he was accursed and became this punishment or this retribution that comes as a result of us contravening the law. Because of our, of our, of our bad works from which we should receive a curse, what Jesus did, instead of that curse then coming on us, that curse went upon him. And then he went on a tree and it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that means that that whole curse fell on him. Not on us, but it fell on him. And that's what it means. It, that's what it means to be saved by faith. In other words, I believe in Christ Jesus and all the punishment for my sin falls on Christ, isn't it? Of course. But I was then not saved because of my good works or what I did. No. I am saved entirely by that belief that Christ Jesus died for me. It is that belief that actually brings me to salvation. And then he says this, verse 15. He says, to give a human example, brothers, even with the man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. That's what he says. So let's look at it. We, We can say a contract. He says, to give a human example, brothers, uh, even with a man-made contract, no one can annul it or add to it once it has been ratified. In other words, we, we have 
we have this contract, it is done. We have this covenant, it is done. It, it is not editable. That's what he is saying. Now, the promises were made to Abraham. He makes this point very clearly. And then we will see why he says that a human covenant, even that, it cannot, uh, it cannot be annulled or added to. In other words, can't be canceled. You can't just come up and say, we had, we had an agreement for this to happen. And then one day when you figure out that you can't do it, you just say, well, I guess I'm going to cancel it. No. Uh, and just as much as you can't do that, what Paul is also saying is that you also can't, sorry about that, you also can't uh, add to it, you can't edit it, you can't annul it once it has been ratified. And then he says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to his offsprings, referring to many, but it refers to one. Follow, keep following him. And to your offspring, one singular, which is Christ. This is what I mean. And so he explains. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it is no longer by the promise. But God gave it to Abraham as a promise. Now you see the whole time why he's talking about Abraham. He says, no, what, what we're talking about here and salvation by faith is an Abrahamic covenant. He says it is, it is something promised to Abraham, if you want to think of it in that way. It is something promised to Abraham. And some, the law which comes only 430 years later, after Christ, does not annul uh, or does not remove the promise that was given to Abraham. And that is the promise was given to Abraham and to his offspring, which is Christ. And of course, when we get saved, we are in Christ. So the promise is very much to us. I hope that you are understanding this very clear because what, what Paul is actually saying here is that, of course, he started using accounting terms. Now he's using legal terms. I mean, he's trying everything for us to get this that we are saved by faith in Christ Jesus and not saved by doing good works, okay? Or not kept saved by doing good works. Why then the law, he continues, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through, through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary applies that there's more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin. Now, now let me not jump that one quickly. But he says that uh, in, verse, in verse 21, it says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if the law had been given... That could give life. That means that the law could not give life. Good works could not give life. That's what he is saying here. But the law could not give life. Then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned, and the word imprisoned literally means that 
It kept everything captive under sin. In other words, the scripture imprisoned and said that everything is under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. (sighs) I hope you've gotten that. So what does it mean? For if the law had been given that could give life, righteousness would indeed be by the law. That means there would be no need for Jesus Christ to come. There would be no need for Christ to have died for us. And of course, we saw this in chapter 2, verse 21. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And that's exactly what Paul is repeating here. He is saying there's no need for a New Testament if the old one was perfect. If the old one could give us life, which is uh, try to get close to God by your good works. That's basically what the old covenant is. Here's how you get close to God do this list of good works. It is simple. It is straightforward. It is what it teaches. But then he says, if that could give you life, if that type of living could give you life, then there was no need for this new testament to come in. There was no need for this new arrangement. Why the new arrangement? Because the old arrangement was not perfect. And that's exactly what he's saying. But the scripture has imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So that means the promise now comes and is given to those who believe, not those who do, but those who believe. Now, before faith came, we, had held, we were held captive under the law. Before faith came, everybody was held captive, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed, Right? So we, were, we all had to follow this way of living, and that is, I do good so that I am made right. I do good so that I am made right. That's the way that we were taught, and that's the way that the old covenant taught us. You do good, you're made right. But he says, now you believe, you're made right. That's exactly what he's saying. So verse 24, it says, so then the law was our guardian. And what he means here is... Um, is basically a guardian was like a teacher or um, um, somebody who instructed you. The guardian was an instructor until Christ came. So that's, that, that's literally what he's trying to say here. And he will get more into this in chapter 4 uh, in our next episode. Uh, Paul will make this extremely clear. But he says here that the law itself was our guardian, was our teacher, was our instructor until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So then God gave us the law and that law was something to teach us good and evil until we could then be justified by faith. So the law taught us what is right. The law taught us what is wrong but the law could never make us right. What it always did was it showed us that we were sinners. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the, we no longer have to live according to the law. And of course, get what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that you're no longer supposed to do good works. Remember, you are supposed to do good works, but they are not to use a, a, a term here, they are not salvific works. 
they don't get you saved. They, they are basically works that result from you having been saved. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You are sons of God through faith, not through works, but through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, he says that those of you that were dunked into water <laughs> and then brought back, you were baptized into Christ. In other words, the ones that God saved. When you got saved and you were put into Christ, you have now put on Christ. That means that you are now made right like Christ is right. You are now uh, before God in every single way you stand right and justified. Uh, and you have done that because God has put you or baptized you into Christ Jesus. And then he says, there's neither G Jew, there's neither Greek, there's neither slave, there's neither free, there's no male, there's no female, for all are under one. For all of you, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So what does he mean there? That means that if then I am in Christ Jesus, I have received eternal life. But the eternal life that I have received, I have received not by doing good. I have received it because I have believed in Christ Jesus. This is so simple. This is so straightforward. And why, why is Paul having such a struggle and such a fight with these guys? I want to tell you, I, I, think, I think the Galatians are so like us. They, they really are like us in every way. Because they, they always were thinking, well, yeah, I know we're saved by faith. People don't have a problem with being saved by faith. It is when you tell them that their works, their good works are not salvific, that they have a problem. To say that, well, uh, no, your good works don't get you saved. Like, wait, what? Your good works don't keep you saved. Wait, what? What are you talking about? In other words, you are saved solely from the merits of Christ. This is one thing that has to teach us humility in the greatest degree. In other words, I am absolutely reliant on Christ to even call myself righteous. You see, most people will agree until you get to this point where you say, your good works don't make you more righteous than how righteous God made you when you believed in Christ Jesus. In other words, in the day that you believed, you were made righteous. But your good works after that don't make you more righteous. Hmm? Absolutely true. Because what you received is the righteousness of God. It's of a, such a quality that it comes straight from God. So it, the great exchange happened. In other words, you gave him your sin, as terrible as it is. And then what happened right after that was that God then gave you his righteousness, as glorious as it is. So in other words, when I do good works, I don't get more righteous. See, that's difficult. And it is difficult for the Galatians as well, at least in this sense, that they're saying, wait a minute, no, no, no. No, <laughs> no. The fact is you have the righteousness of the quality of God. And so if that's the case, that means you're completely righteous. Your good works don't add to your righteousness. 
all that they are doing there is that your good works are simply as a result of your righteousness. Your righteousness is so great that good works have to come as a result. Your righteousness is so pure that there is no way that somebody who is that righteous can continue in a lifestyle of sin. This is what John talks about. He says, in fact, let, 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 let me just go to it and read it to you uh, if I can find it quickly so you can understand. He says, um, John chapter, first John chapter 2. First uh, John chapter 2 and verse verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the, word, the love of God is perfected. By this we know those that we are in him. How do we know that we are in him? Because we keep his word. It's like, what? What's he talking about? It's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It does, he's, he doesn't say, let me tell you what John is not saying here. And you can look in your Bible and see that this is not what he's saying. He doesn't say, we know that, uh, we, we, we know him by doing good works. He never says that. But what he says is that by this we know that we are in him. How do we know that we are in him? That whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. So what's he saying here? He's saying that here's how we know that we know God. Here's how we know that we're righteous. Righteousness flows from us. Here's how we know that we're sinners. Sin flows from us. It doesn't mean that here's how we know that we're righteous. You never sin. No, no, that's not what John says. In fact, he, he's human and he's been going through this thing and he knows that people sin. But when you're righteous, you don't have sin as a lifestyle. You don't have sin as a lifestyle. Why? Because you are made righteous from the inside. And from the inside of your heart, you can't live in sin. Now I'm jumping to chapter 5. But nonetheless, this is what, uh, what uh, Paul is basically talking about here. And he is saying that we know, we know that we are Christian because of how Christ has made us. He has made us righteous. And so those righteousness come out as a result. The law could not save us. The law did not, uh, all that it did is it showed us that we were sinners. That's what the law did. By God keeping, giving us a standard of good works and saying, this is my standard of good works and putting it before us. And by the way, the law is not the perfect standard of good works before God. No, it is not perfect. It is not perfect. But God puts a standard of good works before us and says, now try to do this, this, and, and, and try to get right with me using these, uh, these lists or this list here. And all it shows us is we can't keep that. We really can't keep that. And that is a teaching point because then it says the law is our guardian and the law is our teacher until Christ Jesus comes. And what it does is that it taught us you're a sinner. And this, of course, is, is, is in the next uh, chapter and the first few verses there, which I can talk about. Um, ah, we can jump into it. Why not? In just these two 
a uh, few minutes left. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Now, you see, he says, I mean that. In other words, he's trying to explain. So instead of me explaining what Paul is trying to say, I think I should let him explain, right? And he says, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. You see that? An heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. And this is, this is from um, an old, it's, it's very Middle Eastern. And I think for us as well. No, no, no. It's not just Middle Eastern. It's also for us as well. Because even our kids that are heirs to our estate, they are, they are not going to receive that estate while they're still children. In other words, they have no authority in that estate while they're still children. Now, for us, the only difference is that the son or our sons, when they become an heir in our families, is when we're dead. But with, 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 with uh, your ancient Near Eastern culture, it is not so. You are actually an heir and receiving your inheritance while you are still alive and a son. So in other words, when your son uh, came to a point where he was no longer a child, but had gained a level of maturity, he would inherit his inheritance. He would inherit it. And what he would do is that he would start to act in the household with the authority of the father. He would start to act in that way with the authority of the father. Of course, this inheritance began then and would only be culminated when the father died. So it, it was kind of like stage-wise, if you would think of it in that way. But then he says this, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. So in other words, while this heir... Even though he's going to be owning everything, while he is a child, he's no different from a slave. And Paul makes exactly that point. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything. Right there, that two-year-old is owner of everything, but he is just like a slave in that household because he hasn't learned yet to be trustworthy. And so he says, uh, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. You see that? Until that date when the father says, now you shall be a son. Now you shall inherit it. So he says, in the same way, we also, we were like children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Uh, and by that, he means the law. Okay. He means the law, the elementary principles of the world. But when, and you will see later. I'll make that connection because it makes the same connection to verse 9. That's the one that shows it's the law. And he says, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Uh, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And adoption, and of course, for us, adoption, what it means is that you have no family and a family takes you in. No, adoption for the ancient Near East meant moving from being a child to being a son. That was, now you are adopted as sons. That's what it meant. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are no longer a slave under the law, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Man, let me not get into that a bit more because there is more that I could uh, just delve in. And the point that Paul is trying to make, you will see as he goes into verse 8 here. But of course, 
that's in the next episode. But right now, all we can say, I hope that you have gotten what salvation means and how it is received simply by faith and not by good works. So may God just increase you. May he give you such a confidence in himself. Uh, may you just learn or come to the understanding that God has saved you and it has nothing to do with you except you just simply believing him. God has saved you and it has nothing to do with you or your good works. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for you to just simply say, I believe, I believe. And once you say, I believe, you are saved. It is simple as that. All right. If you have any questions, remember, you can send me a message right on Facebook and tell me, Pastor, I have no idea what you've been saying. I'm okay with that. And we, we can go with where you are. But anyway, uh, if you have any questions whatsoever, uh, you could just do it on social media and ask me in my inbox or on my wall. Hey, it really doesn't matter. Um, and you could just let me know what you're struggling with or if you have any other questions or if you have even objections. Uh, if you are struggling with this and you feel like I have objections, then please do, um, do object. But in the meantime, may God bless you and increase you. May he just uh, show off through you. See you in the next episode.